the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. were alive. He met me. And then finally about six, I decided I needed to sleep just a little more, and so I went back to sleep. And immediately I was in a dream. And in the dream, I was driving to visit a friend.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee. That was a piece by Keith Green. It's one of my favorite songs. The message is so clear. It is the face of God that we seek. I don't want to give you information today. I want to call you beyond the intellect into true spiritual life with Jesus. There are certain historical facts that are simply true. Jesus came to Bethlehem, was born of a virgin birth, died on Calvary, All of that's true. The devil believes it, but it doesn't save him. The devil knows the scriptures inside and out. Intellectually, he understands what's going on, but it doesn't save him. You can argue and fight about the theology of scripture, it won't save you. You can have your favorite positions and arguments. It won't save you. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ and in none other. It's not found in information. It's not found in doctrine. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ. So today and this week, I'm going to address some very difficult issues. I pray you'll stay very close, that you'll walk with me. You see, the greatest struggle of my life as a pastor and as a speaker on this radio broadcast, without question, the greatest struggle is that I can lay out the gospel of Jesus Christ and it seems to have no effect. How's that possible? How is it possible that I can open the phone lines and invite you to come and pray, but you don't pray? Friday, only, only really one person called to earnestly pray. How is that possible? We're going to look at that this week. We're going to begin, as I've been doing a series out of the book of John, the Gospel of John. Jesus is in conflict, his disciples in conflict with John's disciples, and there's, there's some difficulty there saying Jesus is baptizing more than John, and all the disciples of John are going over to Jesus, and John says, look, I told you. He has to increase, and I have to decrease. He was before me. He is God. But Jesus knows it's time to leave, and so he calls his disciples, and he said, we're going to walk back to Galilee. They're in Judea, the Judean desert over on the, over on the River Jordan. 
So they begin the walk back to Galilee. It's roughly a two and a half to three day walk, depending on quickly they walk. But they arrive in Sychar, which was in Samaria. This is where Jacob's well was. Jesus is tired. It's, it's noon, it's hot, and Jesus is tired. He's been ministering to many people. And so he sits down at the well and sends his disciples into town, into Sychar, to buy food, to come back so that they can eat together. And here at the noon hour, something very unusual happens. A woman comes out in the heat of the day. Usually they would come in the early morning or more often in the cool of the evening to have water for their family for bathing and cooking, preparing for the night. But this woman has come in the midst of the heat around 12 noon. Jesus is thirsty, and so he says to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman turns and looks at him and says, You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because obviously Jews and Samaritans had no fellowship. Jesus gives her a very interesting answer. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now the, the woman says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Who are you? Jesus answered. This is in John, the fourth chapter, verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Now, you may want to jot down two passages of Scripture that we're not going to deal with today, but we will be dealing with them this week. And that is John seven, thirty-seven to 39, and John eight, thirty-seven and on. Now, Jesus answers her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. And so Jesus tells her, Go call your husband and come back. And she answers, I have no husband. And Jesus answers her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. And then she goes off into an argument about culture and race 
And we'll talk about that later this week. But right now I want to stop and ask you a very simple question. Have you had this water of life? Have you been drinking it? Now it's clear before Jesus can give this woman the water of life, she's going to have to come forward and confess her sins. The sin of being shacked up with a man who was not her husband. Jesus doesn't condemn her. He just brings the sin out in the open so she can repent. And she is very open and honest about her condition. And she knows that Jesus now is a prophet because he can tell her exactly what she's done, the sin that she has committed. So I want to come back. The difficulty that we have had, is it possible? Well, I'm going to read you the scripture first, and then I'm going to ask the question. It's not an easy question. First John, there's a gospel of John, and then there's first John. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 3, verse 5. But you know that he, that is Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know the children of God and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now, the question, is it possible to live with a clean and pure heart before God. Jesus was offering this woman at the well at Sychar, Jacob's well, he was offering to give her living water. Now, as you read the whole story, he did not give her any living water. And the reason he did not was that he could not. He had not yet been crucified. He had not yet been resurrected. And the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out. That living water is the Holy Spirit. And if you are drinking of that spring of living water, and it is welling up inside of you in salvation, in ministry, 
then you are expected, according to Scripture, to be living with an absolutely clean heart before God, a pure heart. Now, this is hard because in our American culture, we have thought we had to have an endless life of struggle. Constantly trying and failing, doing the best we could do, and then many years ago they came up with a a strange notion that said, look, God's grace is enough. He's going to love you even though you're a sinner. And he's going to save you. So now we believed in America, many of us believed in America, that the only way we could be clean before God is by imputed grace, by Jesus taking his righteousness and giving it to us. But of course, that can't happen. Jesus does not give to us his righteousness. He gives to us righteousness that becomes our righteousness in literal terms so that we no longer sin. But it's so difficult to even begin to get our minds around this because we've been taught, I was taught, that it was a struggle. As I've said before, my father would always say to me, I'd say, Daddy, I just I couldn't help myself. And he'd say, Raymond, you have to try harder. And the illustration that's still in their one of their books in that denomination is a rowboat, and one oar is faith, and one oar is works. And so by faith and works, working together, you're saved. What's a lie? It doesn't work. And so I come honestly asking you the question, have you had this water to drink? And has the Holy Spirit filled you? And and have you stopped sinning? This passage in 1 John 3 is just a stunning, stunning passage. And please, I'm not trying to talk intellectually today. I'm trying to go someplace where many of you have never been. In fact, many of you have never even known you could go there. I'm talking about going to a place where you break through in your life in total victory over all sin where you go to a place in your life where you are absolutely filled with the Spirit of the living God, where you have no conscious awareness of any sin or any guilt in your life, where you are walking in such joy and such faith and such power that the presence of God is with you in such a way 
that you joyously walk out each day facing whatever the devil wants to throw at you because you have the shield of faith, you have the sword the, the, the sword of the word, you have, you have the breastplate of righteousness. It's not something you put on and take off. It is who you are. You have that helmet of salvation. You have your shoes to spread the gospel. You are fully given over to Jesus and the joyous life of serving him. Now, some of you are going to say, Pastor, that's a, that's a wonderful theory. No, it's not a theory. It's what the scripture calls for. And it's not by, it's not by my power. It's by the power of Jesus. He was offering to this woman at the well, Jacob's well, he was offering to her a place of absolute rest in himself. Now, she wasn't ready to enter that place because she was still shacked up with a a guy she wasn't married to. She was still walking in sin. She had no clue and no understanding of what the truth is. And later in that passage, and we'll get to it, Jesus says the Father is looking for people who will worship in spirit and in truth, a heart connection with himself and an absolute truth. Truth doesn't bend. Truth is. It is reality. For many years... I have to tell you, I've lived in la-la land, struggling, it was hard, and people kept saying to me, Pastor, you don't have to struggle that way, just relax. Jesus saved you, you're saved, and people used to call me on the telephone and say, Pastor, stop talking this way, you're saved, you're a holy man. No, 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 I was not a holy man. I was a man who was struggling with all of my light, my my power to be righteous, to do it right. In the home I grew up in, number one priority, be right. Do it right. Say it right. Act right. Huh. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And such despair and heaviness came into my heart and my life. Such discouragement. Until finally I just kind of gave up and said, Look, God, this is who I am. You're going to have to accept me the way I am because this is who I am. I'm going to be honest with you, Jesus. I've, I've tried as hard as I can, and I can't cut this. So you're going to have to save me in the end. When I die, make me righteous. I was wrong. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, this is 1 John 3, verse 5, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. When you drink of that fountain of water, flowing 
from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. He takes away your sin. All sin. And transforms you and makes you into a new person. The old is gone, the new has come. Remember that passage in Galatians? We'll get to it again this week, but just very briefly. Paul says, I live, but it's not I living, it's Christ living in me. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So, I'm asking you the question today. Are you drinking of that water of the Spirit? Or have you been blocked out? And you're unable to access it. And so you're going through the rituals of the faith. You're going to church and you're giving your tithes and offerings. and Maybe you're even preaching. But there's no heart connection with Jesus. And you have no sense that you are clean before him. In fact, you know you're not clean. You know you've tried and failed and repented, failed, repented, failed, repented, failed, repented, on and on and on. But you've never gained the victory until your heart has become hard, angry. Or you've just lost interest and said, okay, next, let's make money. Let's have fun. Let's go to the movies. Let's uh, have a night where the guys can get together and smoke cigars and and gamble nickels over a card game. Let's get together and we'll just have dinner together at the restaurant and talk in fellowship, but we won't talk about Jesus and we won't talk about sin. And none of us have the victory, so we're all in this together. Is that where you're at? So what do you do with this very straight, honest statement? No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. If you're not in Jesus, you are not in life. You're either in Jesus, in life, or you're in the devil, though very religious, and in death. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous. It does not say, he who claims the imputed grace of Jesus is righteous. It does not say that here or anywhere in Scripture. It is not true. Scripture says, he who does what is right is righteous. What does the word righteous mean? It just means innocent. Dikasune in the Greek means innocent. Made righteous, made innocent. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He's saying you are righteous like Jesus is righteous if you're not walking in sin. 
He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Now, let's address this issue and be very specific. Part of the reason I come day by day and speak so forthrightly about this issue is that this has been my struggle and my desperate concern to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I read the scriptures and he begins to unfold for me and I begin to say, okay, Jesus, I will simply take you at your word and I'm not going to put a spin on it. I'm not going to try to change it or soften it. I'm going to take it at face value for what the words actually mean. And so as I preached day by day, There's been very little response. And the reason for that is that many have settled into that sinning Christian position and have never really been willing to go down there and look at the reality of Scripture and examine their lives in light of that Scripture and say, do I or do I not have a pure heart before God? One sister said to me, Pastor, intellectually, I understand the words you're saying, but I have no way in my heart to understand what that means for me inside of my heart. So I'll agree with you, Pastor, I shouldn't sin. But that doesn't stop me from sinning. And she's right. She's absolutely right, 100% right. There has to be a crucifixion. There has to be a death. didn't sleep well last night. I was very disturbed about this message that I knew I would be sharing with you today. And I had several dreams in the night and woke up from them very upset and disturbed because the Lord was was showing me some areas in my life that I have not yet addressed didn't know I needed to that centered around pride in what I want for my life and this morning I spent repenting and once more because when I went to bed last night I had a clean heart but then the Holy Spirit revealed some areas where it's not clean Do you understand? The call of Jesus is for me to utterly lay down my life for him. I talk with people and I listen to them and then I listen to myself and I recognize what's going on. Such arrogance and pride 
in our own hearts about ourselves. And it comes out in, in judgments on other people. You know, how could that person say those things? They're so foolish. I don't want to waste my time with them. Well, wait a minute. Is it your time? Or is it God's time? Why are you cutting off a little one? As though you were the the great hunk of reality. The great measure of truth. send me a text he said I don't understand I don't see why you hold this position now I wanted to write back and say you're right you don't understand and you're blind but the Lord said no just let me deal with him But to be very honest, there is a lack of understanding and there is a blindness about our true spiritual condition before God. And if we're going to move into this place that he is calling us, if we're going to break through into this place of purity and righteousness, holiness, we're going to have to really look carefully at who we are and where we stand with God and let him change us through repentance and crucifixion. He came to take away our sin. The only way that sin can be taken from us is through a crucifixion and the drinking of that pure water from Jesus by the Holy Spirit. I hope by the time we finish this week, those words will make sense to you. I'm aware right now that many of you, I'm talking Greek. You have no clue what I'm even talking about. A place where you can live without a guilty conscience? With a pure heart? Without sin? Are you kidding me? That's what the scriptures are talking about. That's what the call of God is. It says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work in your life and in your heart and to restore you to the condition of Adam and Eve before they fell in the garden. To restore you. To bring you into that place of joyous affirmation, living by faith in Jesus, trusting in him for everything in your heart and your life going to him with everything that was necessary that you could be transformed and changed. Look, if there's no power in the gospel of Jesus Christ to change me, to restore me, then this is all just a joke. It's all a 
a self-help process. The gospel is not about self-help. The gospel is about self-crucifixion, dying to self, and being born into a new place by the Spirit of the living God. I have one friend. I love him, but I have a hard time with him. He is so very cynical. He'll send me these messages about this and that utterly demonic and wicked thing going on in our culture. But his heart is filled with anger and cynicism and bitterness. As though he were the righteous one. Well, if if he were sending me those messages with tears, with earnest cries to God for changing, it would be a very different picture. But instead it's with contempt. It's with anger. How do you speak about politics? Do you speak with contempt? Do you speak about Bernie Sanders or Mr. Trump or Mr. Biden? Do you speak of them with contempt and cynicism and superiority? Do you gossip about them? You call up somebody and you're you're full of bile about this political situation. Then you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. You're not a Christian. That's not how Christians act. In Scripture, that it's very clear. Jesus came to take away our sin, to destroy the work of the devil in our hearts. Has he done that in you? Have you had that water to drink? And has it purified your heart by, by the power of the Holy Spirit regenerating you into the image of Jesus? Have you become pure before God? Is your heart clean before God today? Are you pure? Have you been restored? It says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin. That's the NIV. 1 John, 3rd chapter, verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Have you been born of God? Do you have a pure heart before God? Or do you have a guilty heart? Or do you have a a contemptuous heart? An angry heart? A bitter heart? A hopeless heart? A depressed heart. Do you lust after the things of the world? Do you lust after the entertainment of the world? The music of the world? We're called to come out and be separate. To touch no unclean thing. Have you done that? Are you clean before God today? Or are there shadows and spots on your garments? 
Are you in danger of being cut off by God? And he is leaving you because you don't worship him in spirit and in truth. You worship him in arrogance and pride, self-confidence. I said yesterday in our worship service, the very best food that Jesus can give us is called humble pie where we're willing to just humble our hearts before God and before our brothers and sisters where we stop claiming our rights and our privileges where we turn to Jesus with all of our heart where we stop pursuing our own agenda. This is how we know the children of God are who the children of the devil are or who the children of the devil are. Do you still walk in sin? Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Are you doing what is right? I know some of you have struggled and struggled and and now you're shacked up with somebody that you're not married to. Now you're walking in other ways, getting drunk maybe. You're doing other things that are absolutely wrong. You know they're wrong and that guilt and that heaviness is on your heart. And you remember in the story of Pilgrim's Progress, the book by John Bunyan, Christian is reading the scriptures and as he reads the scriptures he begins to understand his desperate condition before God and as he begins to understand what that desperate condition is before God his heart fails him with fear and he begins to weep because he knows he's going to be condemned and burned in the city of destruction. And he's trying to find, where do I go? Well, you can't just go any direction. You have to go to the narrow gate. And evangelist points him to that narrow gate. Jesus is the gate. You go to Jesus. turn away from the darkness of your heart. You turn away from the darkness that is filling your room, your house, your car. The signs will be all about you if you're walking in sin. You will see it. You will know it. look at this question today it's a very it's a very painful question is your heart full of Jesus are you willing to walk in the place where you have nothing 
to get right before God. Where you are clean of conscience of all sin. Where you walk joyously and wonderfully before him. If you look at the story of Adam and Eve, Adam sinned against God, and he knew he sinned. But secondly, he hid from God, and he tried to cover his sin. So now when the Father comes, when Jesus comes, walking in the garden in the cool of the day to fellowship with him, he's hiding in the bushes. He's hiding because he knows he has sinned and he has a guilty conscience. And so he sees that he's naked and he tries desperately to patch together some big leaves that will cover his nakedness, but he does not want to be seen by God because he knows his condition. Please, have you been hiding your condition under some fig leaves? Have you been hiding before God in the bushes? Have you been refusing to repent for your sin and you've said, look, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven because Jesus' righteousness is now mine. Have you believed the whole false story? And so you're living like the rest of the world? I mean, the research done by Focus on the Family said that Christians enjoy the same entertainment as the pagans. They spend their money the same as the pagans. They have the same ambitions and goals as the pagans. He went through it all. They divorce at the same rate, maybe a little higher. What's the difference between a Christian in America and a non-Christian in America? Well, according to the research that he did and Barna did, There's no measurable difference. That's tragic. That says the world and the church look alike. The world has come into the church. And so God doesn't come to the church. And you may have on Sunday worshipped in a church where the Holy Spirit was not present. Well, they may have had 45 minutes of praise and worship. And you may have gotten very high on all of the exciting music and the emotion may have been stirred but that's all it was and when you left you knew you were the same as when you went in you had to come out and face the same issues of sin disobedience you had to come out of that church and face the work on Monday morning and you knew it was the same old same old because your conscience is not clean before God and you're still walking in your sin. Is that true of you today? Is that true of your life? Can you testify today, I have a pure and clean heart before God. There's not a shadow in my life I have totally submitted and surrendered and I am walking out this life of joyous obedience to Jesus 
being used by him to testify, filled with his presence and his power? Is that your testimony today? Or is your testimony that you are struggling with sin? That you've been unsuccessful in dealing with it and you've had to resort to the lie that you're going to be saved anyway because when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees himself. Common sense says that's not true. Common sense says that's a lie. Nowhere in scripture is it taught. Just the opposite is taught. Read carefully. First John, the third chapter. Or First John, the second chapter. It's everywhere. Read the book of Jude. The brother, half-brother of Jesus. Read what he says in the book of Jude. My brother, my sister, will you be... you read the book of Jude? Would you turn to Jesus and let go of your arrogance saying, I'm saved? As one woman angrily said to me, don't ask me to consider whether I'm saved or not. I'm a mature Christian woman. She was screaming by this time at me. All I could say was, really? Is that how mature Christians act when they're asked that very simple question? Do you have a pure heart before God? Salvation or life is only found in Jesus Christ. And you cannot be in sin and in Jesus at the same time. Sin is lawlessness according to 1 John. Sin is deliberate rebellion against Jesus. It's not immaturity. It is a deliberate choice on our part, a voluntary choice on our part to go after the lust of our heart. Are you walking in sin today? Or do you have a pure heart? Are you clean before God? Lord Jesus, I ask for the mighty power of your spirit to flow right now, igniting in the heart of every person listening the hope, the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they could be washed and made clean, that they could be restored to your image, that they could be like you, Jesus, that they could live a joyous life of faith and victory over every power of the enemy, that you love them with an unquenchable love, an unfailing love, that you have poured your heart out for them. Lord, I ask right now, would you move in power in the lives of these precious people, Would you bring revival 
to Washington, D.C. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Now, you know, if you've been listening to this broadcast, that I'm very much interested in revival. Revival for me is simply a turning back to the true gospel of Jesus Christ and allowing him to deal with the sin and be made clean before him. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.